It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Davius Richard and Jeremy Musa shared the 2023 Black College Football Player of the Year. I don't agree with the decision, and I'm actually shocked that they end up doing this. Oh, yeah, it's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports Editor and current contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Make a Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. Just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Starts with an S and ends with an S. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. And if you're new to FanDuel, you'll get $150 back in bonus bets when you put down a $5 bet on FanDuel.com slash Locked On and make sure it is a winning bet. We'll wrap up today's episode with a look at the SIAC, excuse me, the SIAC standings prior to the last game and how the top of the conference in both divisions is pretty much already certified. Prior to that, We'll be looking at some of the Legacy Bowl standouts, and we'll kick off today's episode with a little bit of news that came out prior to the Legacy Bowl, but I wanted to wait until Tuesday to look at it. That's the Black College Football Player of the Year, the Deacon Jones Award, and this was an absolutely stunning outcome to me. I did not see it coming, and I do not agree with the overall decision, but you have North Carolina Central quarterback Davius Richard sharing this award with Florida A&M quarterback, Jeremy Musa. Now, when you look at it, it's unprecedented. I haven't seen anybody else share a Black College Football Player of the Year award. I know it's still in its young stage and, you know, anything could happen, clearly. But I haven't seen it. This is my first time seeing them share this award. So unprecedented is a way to describe this decision. But it's not the way that I wanted to describe the decision. I purposely said, I was surprised. It was a stunner. It shocked me. Not because it was co-MVPs. It wasn't even that. Because I could understand making the co-MVPs with two players in particular. But these are not the two players that I would have picked. Davius Richards sharing this award with Jeremy Musa is the reason that I am shocked by it. And maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm being a little bit ignorant in the fact that not thinking Jeremy Musa was going to win this. I didn't even... I knew he was on the short list. I'll give you my list. This is this is the list that I had. My list went in this order. Terrell Allen, Tennessee State defensive lineman, and Buck Buchanan award winner for the player, excuse me, the defensive player of the year in this season in all of FCS football. He would have been my first pick. 
I didn't think that quarterback play was spectacular enough to not pick him when he was the best defender in the nation. That's how I felt. Second would have been Davius Richard, who I think is very deserving, but we'll get to him in a second. Then you had Ladarius Owens, who I believe is the rightful SWAC player of the year. Now, specifically offensive player of the year, but right. Let's go to Owens real quick. I knew Owens wasn't going to win the award. This is just who I would have picked, but I knew he wasn't going to end the award, win the award. But this is my thing about Musa. People may say I don't like Musa. Maybe people may think I'm hard on Musa. But one thing you can't say is I'm inconsistent about Musa. But there goes that word inconsistent. And that's exactly what I felt like Jeremy Musa was. Musa is a good player, but he was too inconsistent in 2023 to win a player of the year, in my opinion. I said that when it happened on the conference level. So you know I'm going to stay consistent when it comes to Musa being the player of the year in all of black college football. I believe that Davis Richard, he was not my number one, but I do believe he was deserving. I do not believe that Jeremy Musa was deserving of this award. And that's why it is a shocker. Matter of fact, I knew Richard was going to win the award. I, I can say Allen should have done this, that, and third, but you could not convince me that Davis Richard was not going to be the winner of the 2023 Deacon Jones Award. Couldn't, couldn't convince me of that. Okay. But then I get to Musa, and I'm gonna keep it simple for you. People were calling for his job. Fans wanted him benched at moments. I feel like I remember Willie Simmons coming on and talking about the inconsistencies, specifically in the first half, and allowing Musa to work through those on multiple occasions. I'm not knocking that process. There's nothing wrong with that. I've said it before, and I'll say it again so that it's clear. Jeremy Musa is a solid player. But they're not calling for your job. Fans don't call for the job of the MVP. That does not happen. If fans call for your job in the middle of the season, I don't understand how you could be an MVP. And it makes me feel like I didn't go through the same season. Did I make those things up? Did, did Willie Simmons coming out speaking about the inconsistencies at the quarterback position? Did, did those press conference not happen? Did I make that up? I don't know. It makes me feel as if I did. But let's let's screw all of that. Take the eye test out of it because the eye test is obvious to me. And we're only going Musa versus Richard because those are clearly the last two it came down to. And I don't know if you couldn't make a decision or what it was. Let's go with the stats. Let's go simply with the stats because maybe I am just, I just made this up and ran with it. Maybe I'm tripping. So let's look at the numbers. Jeremy Musa had 2,893 passing yards. He had negative 10 rushing yards due to sacks and all of those things. So let's just say he had 2,893 passing yards and focus on that. 22 touchdowns through the air, and he paired that with two more touchdowns on the ground. Davius Richard, a dual threat quarterback, so I'm going to combine his numbers off rip and not even give that split. Davius Richard had 2,807 yards with 39 touchdowns, 21 through the air, 18 on the ground. So let's just read it flat. Jeremy Moose had 2,893 yards, and he had 24 touchdowns. Davius Richard had 2,807 yards with 39 touchdowns. Let me add a little extra context. Davius Richard played 11 games. Jeremy Musa played 12. Matter of fact, in one of the games that Richard played, 
He barely played against UCLA. He missed the majority of that game. But let's just keep it at a solid 11 and not even try to ration it out and say 10 and one fourth. Let's not even do that. This is a 100-yard gap as far as yardage goes. But then when you get the touchdowns, it's a 15-touchdown gap. I don't need to talk about the difference in, in games played. All I need to say is that one player had 100 more yards while the other player had 15 more touchdowns. Let's be real. The eye test tells you that is Richard. The stats tell you that is Richard. But you know what tells you that is Musa? Fam, you won the Black College Football National Championship. And we're talking about an individual award. That is not enough. Can you give me another reason that Musa was a co-MVP here? And I respect leading your team to a championship. Let's not downplay it. That's not an easy thing to do. We're just not speaking about it right now. I believe that Jeremy Musa is a good player, solid player. But over 2023, he's been incredibly inconsistent and too inconsistent for me to say that he was an MVP player of the year on the conference or a national scale. I couldn't say it a couple of months ago. Now that it's true, now that it's in, in writing, I still don't agree with it. Davius Richard should be the MVP, the player of the year by himself. But because Jeremy Musa reached a certain level of team success, they said, let's go ahead and give it to Musa as well. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and talk about another rattler. Let's get into our legacy bowl standouts. We'll get into an Alabama A&M football player. Then we'll get into a Florida A&M defender who looked really good on Saturday in the HBCU Legacy Bowl. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, and FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Now, if you're new to FanDuel, don't worry about it. Go to FanDuel.com slash Locked On to make every moment more, and you'll get $150 back in bonus bets if you put down a $5 winning bet. That's only for those who are new to FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Locked On, even if you're not, though. If you've already been there, you know the drill. You know why you're going. You know why you need to return every single time. Now, the NBA is rolling. NHL is rolling. You have all of those things. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on with the intention of making every moment more. Make sure you get a little bit of money in your pocket. And remember, if you show up late to the game and you forgot to put down anything that, that morning or maybe that afternoon, it's okay. If the game is not over, you can always participate in the live betting. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day for your second listen make sure you're checking out locked on sports today it's the first of its kind 24 7 all day every day 
live sports network on YouTube. Go ahead and go to Locked On Sports today and subscribe. I have some HBCU Legacy Bowl standouts. And I know on yesterday's episode, I talked about how ugly it was. But even in the mess, even in the ugliness, you can still find some players who performed well. I will admit it was a little bit difficult for me at times to be able to find that. But there are some players. Yesterday was all about the moments. Davius Richards' injury, unfortunate as it is. Also, I don't know if you saw it, but Coach Trey Oliver, he said the same thing I said. He would have never played. If we knew he if he if we knew he was going to be ran, he would not have played in that game. That was a terrible choice by those coaches. Those coaches have to deal with at least part of that blame. That was a that was an extremely ignorant decision. Just gonna be honest with you. There's no way around it. There's no mincing punches or what's it called? Uh, uh uh there's no fainting. There's none of that. We ain't holding nothing back. That was an ignorant choice by those coaches to run Davius Richard. It was an unnecessary risk. But we looked at that on yesterday's episode. We looked at some of the biggest moments, whether that was Lyndon Rash getting up and understanding the NFL rules, or maybe that was Taman Cook and his ability to be a returner. Maybe it was the bad quarterback play that came from all the quarterbacks after Davius Richard left. All of those things were looked at. Go back to yesterday if you haven't seen it. But today I want to look at players individually who I thought looked good, and you can't start without starting with Zarion Hayes, the defense lineman from Alabama A&M. And this guy... He was clearly the best player, the most disruptive, the, the guy who, who jumped out the most, right? And I'm not going to sit here and scout it up and all of that. There are guys who I know the intricacies of the offensive linemen and all the, the subtleties. I'm, ta- I'm talking to you about who jumped off the screen, who jumped off the field, and that was Zarion Hayes. He ended up with, I believe, either two or three sacks. I think it was three. Maybe one was called back due to penalty. Um in a tackle for a loss, extremely disruptive on the day. The defensive MVP, it was an easy call. We we originally, because we were talking about this in the, in the press box, we originally wanted to go with a guy from the winning team. We wanted to go with two guys from Gaither, the offensive MVP and the defensive MVP. But it would have been too obvious that that's what we were doing. We said we have to go with the guy who was clearly the best defensive player on the field, and that was Arian Hayes. I thought that he was dominant in being disruptive. I thought that he did a great job finishing. You didn't see him miss sacks, sure tackling. And he also saw a motor and awareness on his tackle for a loss where he got in the backfield, chased down the running back on a stretch play. I thought Zarion Hayes looked amazing. Let's keep it on the defensive side, specifically on that um, on that Team Robinson. I had to remember who's Team Robinson, who's Gaither. But on that Team Robinson side, Isaiah Major, and he was a player who I was already looking at coming in. He was a player who I was already excited about coming into the game. And I believe that as time went on, you saw him get more comfortable. I want to highlight two plays by by Major. The first was a play that I thought was going to result in a safety. I thought it did result in a safety, but I guess they said that the running back got out of the end zone. The offense had the ball on the one-yard line. On their own one. So their back is to the goal line. And you see Isaiah Major shoot the gap and get into the backfield or get right to the line of scrimmage, really. And I thought he brought him down in the end zone, but I guess he got slightly out, right? To me, that showed his speed. That showed his explosiveness. And then the other play that I wanted to highlight was a play against Ian Wheeler. And we'll get to Wheeler in a little bit because he's another one of our standouts. But he shot that gap as well. Not as fast. It wasn't immediate. It was. I actually feel like he he was blitzed on that first play. 
on that one that should have been a, a safety. But on this one, it showed his ability to read, react, and explode. So sometimes you have guys who just blitz and you just go. But then you also have times where you have to read what's going on. You have to read, react, and then go get the ball carrier. And he met Wheeler in the hole. He didn't stonewall him. He did stop him, but then he ended up getting help. I wonder, I wish the help didn't come because I really wonder if he would have completed that tackle. Wheeler was running hard, and I'll leave it at that. But both of those plays showed the intangibles that you want in a linebacker, the ability to explode, the ability to read and react quickly, click and go. I thought that Isaiah Major had a solid second half in specific. And, you know, it was ugly. It was hard. But things did get better. Um, also, this was one thing that I thought was probably the coolest thing. And I'm going to go through the next couple of these guys actually pretty quickly. But So I have time to, to kind of go on this little rant, I guess. Isaiah Major shared the linebacking position with Colton Adams, Bubba Adams from Alabama State. And I thought that was just cool. I look at these legacy bowl games over the last three years like senior bowl games. And that's what they are. They're a pre-draft bowl where scouts get to come in and they see what's going on. But when I saw Major and Adams in the backfield or in the, in, in the linebacker core together, it felt like a pro bowl. It felt like, man, we're seeing two stars, two guys who have been two of the best linebackers in this conference over the last two years. It, it, it was really good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. And you also had Lewis Matthews coming off the bench. I, I'm a former linebacker. So being able to see great linebackers all be on the same team, it was special to me. Now let's get into Brendan Brown, some offensive players, right? Um, he made a couple of, excuse me. But Brendan Brown, the Howard tied in, made a couple of catches on easy throws. I said there wasn't enough of those, and you got a few of them. Some really easy throws to tight ends. Whether it was a little rollout, tight end just kind of leak off to the flats, easy throw to him. Brown showed his athleticism, taking one of those, those catches and hurtling over a defender afterwards. Really, really solid stuff. And it wasn't many bright spots on the offense. It just wasn't. So to see him have those moments was one of the brighter spots. Then you have Tamon Cook. And he was a returner from North Carolina A&T, who I really wanted to see what he would do as a receiver. Well, didn't really get that option after Richard got hurt. It, it all went down the drain. But one thing he did do is because once I saw he wasn't going to do anything as a receiver anymore, it became clear. The passing game was doo-doo. Once I realized that, I said, oh, he's on, he's on punt coverage. Let me see what he does as a gunner. And I thought he really shined. And I said this on yesterday's episode as well, so I'm not going to regurgitate all of that. But I did think he was impressive enough to be a standout simply from being a special teamer. Ross is going to love me for this. Ross is going to love me for this. But um, got to give a special teams guy a standout. Um, Ian Wheeler is the last person I'm going to have on here. Um, Ian Wheeler had good bounce. I wrote some of these things right at the moment. Good bounce, ran hard downhill, had a couple of catches, and he was probably one of the few, if not the only, real bright spot like i mean like really shown what he could do in that fourth quarter he shined bright and to me team gaither it was ugly for them once richard went out they had one more drive but it was really ugly for them and wheeler was the one person who at any moment i said oh i've seen something not just a one-off multiple plays where he had good burst to the outside where he had good hard downhill running i look at that isaiah major play and i'm saying to myself it 
I'm a wrestling fan, right? There's matches where obviously somebody has to lose, but both of those wrestlers come out looking good. That's what I felt when I seen Major and Wheeler. Major showed his ability to click and go, while Wheeler showed his really hard downhill running. And it looked as if he might be able to break out of that tackle before a second defender came up. I think it was a good run on both, um, or good play by both. And that's what I kind of felt like this was. I felt like Wheeler and Major came out of this looking good. Wheeler just had good attributes that he showed really in that fourth quarter. And I wish we would have seen more of that more often, but it really wasn't in a situation where you could have seen a lot of running backs run the ball. They chose to pass on first down. They got into a lot of passing situations, but I saw Wheeler make the mess, the best, excuse me, of his situations once he got into the fourth quarter. Now, as we push forward, we're going to look at the SIAC standings in men's basketball because they've been pretty much shored up. But there are a couple of teams that you need to look at as we go into the season finale tonight in SIAC basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time, and Game Time is the number one place for all of your last-minute tickets. There's no such thing as too late when you have Game Time on your side. When you're looking at this, this, this app here, you want to go to Game Time, download it, create an account, and use the code Locked On. When you use the code Locked On, if you're new to Game Time, you get $20 off your first purchase. For me, it's so versatile that I love it because if I want to go to a concert, can do that if i want to go to a play i can do that if i want to go to a sporting event like say i want to go to a mavericks game i think i'm gonna go to a mavericks game sometime next month all right cool fine by me let's go ahead and go to this mavericks versus pacers game just go ahead and look it up i get to see the view and if i find a better seat after purchasing my ticket in the same row on the same section they'll give me 110 dollars back on the difference so there's really no lose they are that confident that you won't find a better ticket price so all you have to do is go to the game time app create an account if you haven't already create an account and use the code locked on if you're new to fan excuse me if you're new to game time i'm close to avoiding that but if you're new to game time use the code locked on you get 20 dollars off your first purchase As wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day, every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's get into this SIAC coverage because it's essentially locked down, especially at the top. I don't have many games that I'm looking at going into tonight's season finale for the SIAC men's basketball teams. Um, I told you there was an outcome on Saturday or more sort of set of outcomes on Saturday that could have happened that would have taken so much pressure off of today. And it happened. Clark won their game on Saturday. Morehouse defeated Benedict. Those three teams are set in place. It's just like that in the West, too. You look in the West, you got Miles, Tuskegee, Spring Hill. In that order, one, two, three. It's already decided. In the East, you have Clark, Morehouse, Benedict, one, two, three. In that order, it's already decided. Those teams can't do anything. They can't go any farther down. Morehouse has swept Benedict. So no matter, even if they do tie, it will not, it will not affect the standings. Clark swept Morehouse. No matter what, 
it won't affect the standings, even if they do tie. You look at Miles, Tuskegee, and Spring Hill, they're far enough apart where you won't have any ties. Everything is set in place as far as the top three. And the reason I focus on the top three is because those are the teams that get a buy-ish. Like that third team gets kind of a buy in the sense that they only play four games. Most teams play four games, right? Like the six and seven seed play four games. The four and five team plays four, four games. But the third seed gets to see the, the winner of six versus seven. So you get to have a team that has already played essentially like a play-in, right? So one and two don't play the first and second team. Let me say one and two. First and second seed in both the West and the East do not play until the quarterfinals. The three seed plays in the second round, in the second set of the opening round. There's two opening round sets. The three seed gets to play the winner of six versus seven in the second open round section. That's the thing. And it's kind of confusing when I put it like that, but it was really easy to see when you put it out in words. But basically, basically, the three seed gets the opportunity to at least play a team that has already played. They are essentially in a play-in, and then once you get to the three seed, now you're in the first round. That's the way that I would look at it. Um, one and two only has to play three games. That's the true benefit. They start in the quarterfinals. They really get a first round bye, legitimately, not just a you get to face a weekend opponent who's already played. That That's that. So um, let me make sure. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Then also, because I did want to make sure I hit everything for the three seed. Here's the teams who do have the most to play for. Because it's not like everybody is done. It's just the top three seeds are pretty solidified. But then you have four and five fighting it out. You have six and seven, eight. You have all of those teams fighting it out, especially in the West. In the West, you got three teams who could be who are fighting out for four through six. But let's get into the teams that I really have my eyes on. You have Kentucky State and Lane, who are fighting it out for the five seed in the West. Then you have Albany State and Fort Valley State, who are fighting it out for the eighth seed in the East. Whoever the five seed is in the West, and this don't make no sense to me, but whoever the five seed in the West is, they have to face the eighth seed in the East in the real opening matchup. I told you the three seed has a buy-ish by because they still have to play four games. Four through Four and five have to play four games. Six and seven have to play four games if they want to win it all. But the fifth seed in the West and the eighth seed in the East have the opening matchup on Sunday, the only Sunday game. And if you want to come from that game all the way to winning it all, you have to play five games, the most of anybody. And the thing that's interesting about it is it's just the men. The women don't have this. I don't really understand it. It doesn't really make any sense to me. I don't know why the eight seed in the East gets an opportunity when it comes to the men's division or men's basketball in general. And especially in the East, I don't I don't get it. In the women's. The fifth seed in the West plays the fourth seed in the East, and that's just how it goes. Same with with uh, the fourth seed in the East plays the fifth seed in the or excuse me, the fourth seed in the West plays the fifth seed in the East. It's really simplistic, but they're making it more difficult. It's a raw deal. I don't like it one bit. It doesn't make no sense to me, but that's what it is. So I'm looking at Kansas State, or excuse me, Kentucky State versus and Lane, who are fighting out for the fifth seed in the West, but they don't play each other. And then Fort Valley State and Albany State fighting out for the eighth seed in the East, and they don't play each other. 
So it's just that simple. Those are the games that you need to watch out for or the teams you need to watch out for. Meanwhile, the top three is already pretty much solidified. So I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day. We'll be back on tomorrow to discuss Mickey Joseph's contract. I can't stand it. It's not a good contract. It, it's poorly done. I think that'll be tomorrow. It's either tomorrow or it'll be Thursday's episode, but I'm pretty sure it'll be there for Wednesday. So I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen, make sure you're checking out Locked On Sports today and come back to see me tomorrow to do it all over again. In the meantime, in between time, until next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 